Book the Seventh, Part Four of Birds of Prey by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Mr. Sheldon is benevolent. Nancy Wolper had lost little of her activity during the ten years that had gone by since she received her wages from Mr. Sheldon on his breaking up his establishment in Fitzgeorge Street. Her master had given her the opportunity of remaining in his service, had she so pleased. But Mrs. Loper was a person of independent, not to say haughty, spirit, and she had preferred to join her small fortunes with those of a nephew, who was about to begin business as a chandler and general dealer in a very small way, rather than to submit herself to the sway of that lady, whom she insisted on calling Miss Georgie. "'It has been so long since I've been used to a missus,' she said, when announcing her decision to Mr. Sheldon. "'I doubt if I could do with Miss Georgie's finikin ways. I should feel too-like, if she came into the kitchen, wirtin' and asking questions. I've been used to my own ways, and I don't suppose I could do with hers.' So Nancy departed, to enter on a career of unpaid drudgery in the household of her kinsman, and to lose the last shilling of her small savings in the futile endeavor to sustain the fortunes of the general dealer. His death, following very speedily upon his insolvency, left the poor old soul quite adrift, and in this extremity she had been fain to make her appeal to Mr. Sheldon. His reply came in due course but not without upwards of a week's delay, during which time Nancy Wolper's spirits sank very low, while a dreary vision of a living grave, called a workhouse, loomed more and more darkly upon her poor old eyes. She had well-nigh given up all hope of succor from her old master when the letter came, and she was the more inclined to be grateful for a very small help after this interval of suspense. It was not without strong emotion that Mrs. Wolper obeyed her master's summons. She had nursed a hard, cold man of the world whom she was going to see once more, after ten years of severance, and though it was more difficult for her to imagine that Philip Sheldon, the stockbroker, was the same Philip she had carried in her stout arms, and hushed upon her breast forty years ago, than it would have been to fancy the dead who had lived in those days restored to life and walking by her side. Still, she could not forget that such things had been, and could not refrain from looking at her master with more loving eyes because of that memory. A strange dark cloud had arisen between her and her master's image during the latter part of her service in Fitzgeorge Street, but little by little the cloud had melted away leaving the familiar image clear and unshadowed as of old. She had suffered her mind to be filled with a suspicion so monstrous that for a time it held her as by some fatal spell. But with reflection came the assurance that this thing could not be. Day by day she saw the man whom she had suspected going about the common business of life, coldly serene of aspect, untroubled of manner, confronting fortune with his head erect, living quietly in the house where he had been wont to live, haunted by no dismal shadows, subject to no dark hours of remorse, no sudden access of despair, always equable, businesslike, and untroubled. 
and she told herself that such a man could not be guilty of the unutterable horror she had imagined. For a year things had gone thus, and then came the marriage with Mrs. Halliday. Mr. Sheldon went down to Barlingford for the performance of that interesting ceremony, and Nancy Wolper bade farewell to the house in Fitzgeorge Street, and handed the key to the agent, who was to deliver it in due course to Mr. Sheldon's successor. Today, after a lapse of more than ten years, Mrs. Wolper sat in the stockbroker's study, facing the scrutinizing gaze of those bright black eyes, which had been familiar to her of old, and which had lost none of their cold glitter in the wear and tear of life. "'Then you think you can be of some use in the house, as a kind of overlooker of the other servants, eh, Nancy, to prevent waste, and gadding out of doors, and so on?' asked Mr. Sheldon interrogatively. "'Aye, sure, I can, Mr. Philip,' answered the old woman promptly. "'And if I don't save you more money than I cost you, the sooner you turn me out of doors the better.' I know what London servants are, and I know their ways, and if Miss Georgie doesn't take to the housekeeping, I know as how things must be hugger-mugger like below stairs, however smart and tidy things may be above. Mrs. Sheldon knows about as much of housekeeping as a baby, replied Philip, with supreme contempt. She'll not interfere with you, and if you serve me faithfully, that I allers did, Mr. Philip. Yes, yes, I dare say you did and I want faithful service in the future as well as in the past. Of course you know that I have a stepdaughter. Tom Halliday's little girl, as went to school at Scarborough. The same. But poor Tom's little girl is now a fine young woman, and a source of considerable anxiety to me. I am bound to say that she is an excellent girl, amiable, obedient, and all that kind of thing. But she is a girl and I freely confess that I am not learned in the way of girls, and I am very much inclined to be afraid of them. As how, sir? Well, you see, Nancy, they come home from school with their silly heads all full of romantic stuff, fit for nothing but to read novels and strum upon the piano, and before you know where you are, they fall over head and ears in love with the first decent-looking young man who pays them a compliment. At least that's my experience." "'Meaning Miss Halliday, sir?' asked Nancy simply. "'Has she fallen in love with some young chap?' "'She has, and with a young chap who is not yet in a position to support a wife. "'Now, if this girl were my own child, I should decidedly set my face against this marriage. "'But she is only my stepdaughter. "'I wash my hands of all responsibility in the matter. "'Marry the young man you have chosen, my dear,' say I. All I ask is that you don't marry him until he can give you a comfortable home. Very well, Papa, says my young lady, in her most dutiful manner. And very well, sir, says my young gentleman. And they both declare themselves agreeable to any amount of delay, provided the marriage comes off some time between this and doomsday. Well, sir, asked Nancy, rather at a loss to understand why Philip Sheldon, the closest and most reserved of men, should happen to be so confidential to-day. Well, Nancy, I want to prevent any underhand work. I know what very limited notions of honor young men are apt to entertain nowadays, and how intensely foolish a boarding-school miss can be on occasion. I don't want these young people to run off to Gretna Green some fine morning, 
or to steal a march upon me by getting married on the sly at some out-of-the-way church after having invested their united fortunes in the purchase of a special license in plain words i distrust miss holliday's lover and i distrust miss holliday's common sense and i want to have a sensible sharp-eyed person in the house always on the lookout for any kind of danger and be able to protect my stepdaughter's interests as well as my own but the young lady's mamma sir she would look after her daughter i suppose her mamma is foolishly indulgent and about as capable of taking care of her daughter as of sitting in parliament you remember pretty georgie craddock and you must know what she was and what she is mrs sheldon is the same woman as georgie craddock a little older and a little more plump and rosy but just as pretty and just as useless the interview was prolonged for some little time after this and it ended in a thorough understanding between mr sheldon and his old servant nancy wolper was to re-enter that gentleman's service and over and above all ordinary duties she was to undertake the duty of keeping a close watch upon all the movements of charlotte holliday in plain words she was to be a spy a private detective so far as this young lady was concerned but mr sheldon was too wise to put his requirements into plain words knowing that even in the hour of her extremity nancy wolper would have refused to fill such an office had she clearly understood the measure of its infamy upon the day that followed this interview with mrs wolper the stockbroker came home from the city an hour or two earlier than his custom and startled miss halliday by appearing in the garden where she was walking alone looking her brightest and prettiest in her dark winter hat and jacket and pacing briskly to and fro among the bare frost-bound patches of earth that had once been flower-beds i want a few minutes quiet talk with you lota said sheldon you'd better come into my study where we're pretty sure not to be interrupted the girl blushed crimson as she accepted this request being assured that mr sheldon was going to discuss her matrimonial engagement valentine had told her of that very satisfactory interview in the dining-room and from that time she had been trying to find an opportunity for the acknowledgment of her stepfather's generosity as yet the occasion had not arisen she did not know how to frame her thanksgiving and she shrank shyly from telling mr sheldon how grateful she was to him for the liberality of mind which had distinguished his conduct in this affair i really ought to thank him she said to herself more than once i was quite prepared for his doing his uttermost to prevent my marriage with valentine and instead of that he volunteers his consent and even promises to give us a fortune i am bound to thank him for such generous kindness perhaps there is no task more difficult than to offer grateful tribute to a person whom one has been apt to think of with a feeling very near akin to dislike ever since her mother's second marriage charlotte had striven against an instinctive detaste of mr sheldon's society and an innate distrust of mr sheldon's affectionate regard for herself but now that he had proved his sincerity in this most important crisis of her life she awoke all at once to the sense of wrong she had done i am always reading the sermon on the mount and yet in my thoughts about mr sheldon i have never been able to remember those words 
judge not that ye be not judged his kindness touches me to the very heart and i feel it all the more keenly because of my injustice she followed her stepfather into the prim little study there was no fire and the room was colder than a vault on this bleak december day charlotte shivered and drew her jacket more tightly across her chest as she perched herself on one of mr sheldon's shining red morocco chairs the room strikes cold she said very very cold after this there was a brief pause during which mr sheldon took some papers from the pocket of his overcoat and arranged them on his desk with an absent manner as if he were rather deliberating upon what he was going to say than thinking of what he was doing while he loitered thus charlotte found courage to speak i wish to thank you mr sheldon papa she said pronouncing the papa with some slight appearance of effort in spite of her desire to be grateful i-i've been wishing to thank you for the last day or two only it seems difficult sometimes to express oneself about these things i do not deserve or wish for your thanks my dear i have only done my duty but indeed you do deserve my thanks and you have them all in sincerity papa you have been very very good to me about about valentine i thought you would be sure to oppose our marriage on the ground of imprudence you know and i do oppose your marriage in the present on the ground of imprudence and i am only consentient to it in the future on the condition that mr hawkehurst shall have secured a comfortable income by his literary labours he seems to be clever and he promises fairly oh yes indeed dear papa cried the girl pleased by this meed of praise for her lover he is more than clever i am sure you would say so if you had time to read his article on madame de sevigne in the cheapside i dare say it is very good my dear but i don't care for madame de sevigne or his sketch of bossuet's career in the charing cross my dear child i do not even know who bossuet was all i require from mr hawkehurst is that he shall earn a good income before he takes you away from this house you have been accustomed to a certain style of living and i cannot allow you to encounter a life of poverty but dear papa i am not in the least afraid of poverty i dare say not my dear you have never been poor replied mr sheldon coolly i don't suppose i am as much afraid of a rattlesnake as the poor wretches who are accustomed to see one swinging by its tail from the branch of any tree any day in the course of their travels i have only a vague idea that a cobra di capello is an unpleasant customer but depend upon it those foreign fellows feel their blood stagnate and turn to ice at the sight of the cold slimy-looking monster poverty and i travelled the same road once and i know what the gentleman is i don't want to meet him again mr sheldon lapsed into silence after this his last words had been spoken to himself rather than to charlotte and the thoughts that accompanied them seemed far from pleasant to him charlotte sat opposite her stepfather patiently awaiting his pleasure she looked at the gaudily bound books behind the glass doors and wondered whether any one had ever opened any of the volumes i should like to read dear sir walter's stories once more she thought there never never was so sweet a romance as the bride of lamonmore and i cannot imagine that one could ever grow weary of reading it 
but to ask mr sheldon for the key of that bookcase would be quite impossible i think his books must be copies of special editions not meant to be read i wonder whether they are real books or only upholsterers dummies and then her fancies went vagabondizing off to that little archetype of a cottage on the heights of wimbledon common in which she and valentine were to live when they were married she was always furnishing and refurnishing this cottage building it up and pulling it down as the caprice of the moment dictated now it had bow windows and white stuccoed walls now it was elizabethan now the simplest quaintest rose-embowered cottager's dwelling with diamond-panelled casements and deep thatch on the old grey roof this afternoon she amused herself by collecting a small library for valentine while waiting mr sheldon's next observation he was to have all her favourite books of course and they were to be bound in the prettiest most girlish bindings she could see the dainty volumes primly ranged on the little carved oak bookcase which valentine was to pick up in wardour street she fancied herself walking down that mart of bric-a-brac arm-in-arm with her lover intent on picking up ah what happiness what dear delight in the thought and oh of all the bright dreams we dream how few are realized upon this earth do they find their fulfilment in heaven those visions of perfect bliss mr sheldon looked up from his desk at last miss halliday remarked to herself that his face was pale and haggard in the chill wintry sunlight but she knew how hard and self-denying a life he led in his stern devotion to business and she was in no manner surprised to see him looking ill i want to say a few words to you on a matter of business lotta he began and i must ask you to give me all your attention i will do so with pleasure papa but i'm awfully stupid about business i shall do my best to make matters simple i suppose you know what money your father left including the sums his life had been insured for yes i have heard mamma say it was eighteen thousand pounds i do so hate the idea of those insurances it seems like the price of a man's life doesn't it i dare say it's a very unbusinesslike way of considering the question but i cannot bear to think that we got the money by dear papa's death these remarks were too trivial for mr sheldon's notice he went on with what he had to say in the cold hard voice that was familiar to his clerks and to the buyers and sellers of shares and stock who had dealings with him your father left eighteen thousand pounds that amount was left to your mother without reservation when she married me without any settlement that money became mine in point of law mine to squander or make away with as i pleased you know that i have made good use of that money and that your mother has no reason to repent her confidence in my honour and honesty the time has come now in which that honour will be put to a sharper test you have no legal claim on so much as a shilling of your father's fortune i know that mr sheldon charlotte cried eagerly and valentine knows also and believe me i do not expect i shall have to settle matters with my own conscience as well as with your expectations my dear lotta mr sheldon said solemnly your father left you unprovided for but as a man of honour i feel myself bound to take care that you shall not suffer by his want of caution i have therefore prepared a deed of gift 
by which i transfer to you five thousand pounds now invested in the unitas bank shares you're going to give me five thousand pounds cried charlotte astounded without reservation you mean to say that you will give me this fortune when i marry papa said charlotte interrogatively i shall give it to you immediately replied mr sheldon i wish you to be thoroughly independent of me and my pleasure you will then understand that if i insist upon the prudence of delay i do so in your interest and not my own i wish you to feel that if i am a hindrance to your immediate marriage it is not because i wish to delay the disbursement of your dowry oh mr sheldon oh papa you are more than generous you are noble it is not that i care for the money oh believe me there is no one in the world who could care less for that than i do but your thoughtful kindness your generosity touches me to the very heart oh please let me kiss you just as if you were my own dear father come back to life to protect and guide me i have thought you cold and worldly and i have done you so much wrong she ran to him and wound her arms about his neck before he could put her off and lifted up her pretty rosy mouth to his hot dry lips her heart was overflowing with generous emotion her face beamed with a happy smile she was so pleased to find her mother's husband better than she had thought him but to her supreme astonishment he thrust her from him roughly almost violently and looking up at his face she saw it darkened by a blacker shadow than she had ever seen upon it before anger terror pain remorse she knew not what but an expression so horrible that she shrunk from him with a sense of alarm and went back to her chair bewildered and trembling you frighten me mr sheldon she said faintly not more than you frightened me answered the stockbroker walking to the window and taking his stand there with his face hidden from charlotte i did not know there was so much feeling in me for god's sake let us have no sentiment were you angry with me just now asked the girl falteringly utterly at a loss to comprehend the change in her stepfather's manner no i was not angry i am not accustomed to these strong emotions replied mr sheldon huskily i cannot stand them pray let us avoid all sentimental discussion i am anxious to do my duty in a straightforward businesslike way i don't want gratitude or fuss the five thousand pounds are yours and i am pleased to find you consider the amount sufficient and now i have only one small favor to ask of you in return i should be very ungrateful if i refused to do anything you may ask said charlotte who could not help feeling a little chilled and disappointed by mr sheldon's stony rejection of her gratitude the matter is very simple you are young and have in the usual course of things a long life before you but you know there is always a but in these cases a railway accident a little carelessness in passing your drawing-room fire some evening when you are dressed in flimsy gauze or muslin a fever a cold or any of the many dangers that lie in wait for all of us and our best calculations are falsified if you were to marry and die childless that money would go to your husband and neither your mother nor i could ever touch a sixpence of it now as the money practically belongs to your mother i consider this contingency should be provided against 
in her interests as well as in mine. In plain words, I want you to make a will leaving that money to me. I'm quite ready to do so, replied Charlotte. Very good, my dear. I felt assured that you would take a sensible view of the matter. If you marry your dear Mr. Hawkehurst, have a family by and by. We will throw the old will into the fire and make a new one. But in the meantime, it's just as well to be on the safe side. You shall go into the city with me to-morrow morning, and shall execute the will at my office. It will be the simplest document possible, as simple as the will made by old Sergeant Crane, in which he disposed of half a million of money in half a dozen lines, at the rate of five thousand pounds per word. After we've settled that little matter, we can arrange the transfer of the shares. The whole affair won't occupy an hour. I will do whatever you wish charlotte said meekly she was not at all elated by the idea of coming suddenly into possession of five thousand pounds but she was very much impressed by the new view of mr sheldon's character afforded her by his conduct of to-day and then her thoughts constant to one point as the needle to the pole reverted to her lover and she began to think of the effect her fortune might have upon his prospects he might go to the bar he might work and study in pleasant temple chambers, with wide area windows overlooking the river, and read law books in the evening at the Wimbledon Cottage for a few delightful years, at the end of which he would, of course, become Lord Chancellor. That he should devote such intellect and consecrate such genius as his to the service of his country's law courts, and not ultimately seat himself on the woolsack, was a contingency not to be imagined by Miss Halliday. Ah, what would not five thousand pounds buy for him? The cottage expanded into a mansion. The little case of books developed into a library, second only to that of Duke del Mall. A noble steed awaited at the glass door of the vestibule to convey Mr. Hawkehurst to the temple, before the minute hand of Mr. Sheldon's stern skeleton clock had passed from one figure to another so great an adept was this young lady in the art of castle-building am i to tell mamma about this conversation asked charlotte pleasantly well uh, no i think not replied mr sheldon thoughtfully these family arrangements cannot be kept too quiet your mamma is a talking person you know charlotte and as we don't want every one in this part of bayswater to know the precise amount of your fortune we may as well let matters rest as they are of course you would not wish mr hawkehurst to be enlightened why not papa for several reasons first and foremost it must be pleasant to you to be sure that he is thoroughly disinterested i have told him that you will get something as a gift from me but he may have implied that the something would be little more than a couple of hundreds to furnish a house secondly it must be remembered that he has been brought up in a bad school and the best way to make himself reliant and industrious is to let him think he has nothing but his own industry to depend upon i have set him a task when he has accomplished that he shall have you and your five thousand pounds to boot till then i should strongly advise you to keep this business a secret yes answered charlotte meditatively i think you are right it would have been very nice to tell him of your kindness but I want to be quite sure that he loves me for myself alone, from first to last, without one thought of money. 
"'That is wise,' said Mr. Sheldon decisively, and thus ended the interview. Charlotte accompanied her stepfather to the city early next morning, and filled in the blanks in a lithographed form, prepared for the convenience of such testators, as being about to dispose of their property, do not care to employ the services of a legal adviser. The will seemed to Charlotte the simplest possible affair. She bequeathed all her property, real and personal, to Philip Sheldon without reserve. But as her entire fortune consisted of the five thousand pounds just given her by that gentleman, and as her personal property was comprised in a few pretty dresses and trinkets, and desks and work-boxes, she could not very well object to such an arrangement. "'Of course, Mamma would have all my books and caskets and boxes and things,' she said thoughtfully. "'And I should like Diana Paget to have some of my jewellery, please, Mr. Sheldon. Mamma has plenty, you know.' "'There is no occasion to talk of that, Charlotte,' replied the stockbroker. "'This will is only a matter of form.' Mr. Sheldon omitted to inform his stepdaughter that the instrument just executed would, upon her wedding day, become so much waste-paper, an omission that was not in harmony with the practical and careful habits of that gentleman. "'Yes, I know it's only a form,' replied Charlotte. "'But after making a will—' one feels if one was going to die at least i do it seems a kind of preparation for death i don't wonder people rather dislike doing it it's only foolish people who dislike doing it said mr sheldon who was in his most practical mood to-day and now we will go and arrange a more agreeable business the transfer of the shares after this there was a little commercial juggling in the form of signing and countersigning, which was quite beyond Charlotte's comprehension, which operation being completed, she was told that she was owner of five thousand pounds in Unitas Bank shares, and that the dividends accruing from time to time on those shares would be hers to dispose of as she pleased. The income arising from your capital will be more than you can spend so long as you remain under my roof, said Mr. Sheldon. I should therefore strongly recommend you to invest your dividends as they arise, and thus increase your capital. You are so kind and thoughtful, murmured Charlotte. I shall always be pleased to take your advice. She was strongly impressed by the kindness of the man her thoughts had wronged. How difficult it is to understand these reserved, matter-of-fact people, she said to herself, because my father does not talk sentiment. I have fancied him hard and worldly, and yet he has proved himself as capable of doing a noble action, as if he were the most poetical of mankind. Mrs. Sheldon had been told that Charlotte was going into the city to choose a new watch, wherewith to replace the ill-used little Geneva toy that had been her delight as a schoolgirl, and as Charlotte brought home a neat little English-made chronometer from a renowned emporium in Ludgate Hill, the simple matron accepted this explanation in all good faith. "'I'm sure, Lota, you must confess your stepfather is kindness itself in most matters,' said Georgie, after an admiring examination of the new watch. "'When I think how kindly he has taken this business about Mr. Hawkehurst, "'and how disinterested he has proved himself in his ideas about your marriage, "'I really am inclined to think him the best of men.' "'Georgie said this with an air of triumph. "'She could not forget that there were people in Barlingford 
who had said hard things about Philip Sheldon, and had prophesied unutterable miseries for herself and her daughter, as the bitter consequence of the imprudence she had been guilty of in her second marriage. "'He has indeed been very good, Mamma. Charlotte replied gravely, "'and believe me, I am truly grateful. He does not like fuss or sentiment, but I hope he knows that I appreciate his kindness.'" End of Book the Seventh, Part Four